Hello and welcome to The Pulse. Later in the show, just who's going to take the top positions in the Legislative Council and national education is the battle over. And we talk to a Palestinian doctor, Izeldin Abulesh, who has turned tragedy into a quest for hope. But first, one woman has died and three remain in hospital after undergoing a beauty treatment by a Hong Kong beauty chain. The incident has highlighted the need for more controls over the activities of the beauty industry. The first time that under the record that we have asked the government to do something on the regulation of the beauty parlour on the so-called medical uh, beautification procedures 26 years ago. They mix some fact with half-truth and frank lies and mix together and sell it to the public. Beauticians are not trained to do uh, medical treatments. They are not qualified to do uh, beauty treatments that are invasive. Then they refer the cases, their clients, to uh, medical practitioners. Lacking sufficient controls, beauty treatments can turn ugly. This week, one customer who had undergone a blood separation and transfusion process died due to multiple organ failure. Three other women who received the same treatment at DR clinic remain in hospital after contracting a rare and antibiotic-resistant bug. The clinic claims that the therapy usually employed to treat cancer patients rejuvenates facial skin enhances immunity and cures asthma. The chain has more than 40 outlets in Hong Kong. 44 people received the treatment at their beauty centers. The cost of an average procedure was about $18,000. All customers undergoing it signed disclaimers agreeing that they understood the treatment was not for medical purposes. However, the procedure is high risk. The blood being drawn will have to be processed. The cells have to be separated because the blood contains plasma in different cells, namely red cell, white cell, and platelet. So they have to separate the white cells from the blood, and then they have to add different substance, and then they have to put in a certain environment so the cells will divide. And when the cells multiply, they will have enough number of these so-called cells that claim to be of benefit and then re-injected into the same patient. This is not an established procedure, not an internationally recognized procedure. Honestly, it's the first time I heard about using this procedure in treating a non-cancer patient. Is it established for cancer patient though? Still in experimental stage. This simple procedure can be very dangerous because we never know what exactly has been put back into the body and we never know how good is the antiseptics and how good this procedure has been done under so-called professional guidance. So as a result, we can see at least four patients has been severely affected. 
Clients buying the treatment are believed to have been referred to the clinic by a doctor named Mac from Asia Pacific Stem Cell Science. The DRBD chain's founder, Stephen Chow, also owns that laboratory. In Hong Kong, doctors are not allowed to have any connection with beauty parlors. If such is discovered, they will receive disciplinary action from the medical council. News organizations have also reported that the chain used cheap liquid nitrogen from China, which has been stored in a filthy uncovered car park in Laofoshan. This week, the pulse went to some of the centers of the DR Beauty Group. They appear hidden, without clear company names, and are often situated in commercial buildings in busy areas. Following the incident, this week, the government set up a steering committee to undertake a comprehensive review of regulations for beauty parlors and private medical service providers. Today, we have set up a steering committee to conduct a review on the regulatory regime for private healthcare facilities in Hong Kong. The aim of the review is to strengthen the regulatory control of private healthcare facilities, including high-risk medical treatments, in order to safeguard public safety. There are concerns, though, that it may take a year to complete the review, which will then be followed by a public consultation. It may be a long time before the relevant laws covering private medical centers and beauty parlors will be amended. In the meantime, complaints from customers who have suffered less serious but still damaging side effects from beauty serums and chemical injections are likely to continue. And regarding the claims of many of these centers about unproven therapies, it remains a case of buyer beware. On Monday, Chief Executive Lern Chung-ying marked the 100th day of his administration by announcing the shelving of controversial guidelines on teaching national education. He has, however, refused to withdraw the subject completely, leaving schools free to decide if and when to introduce it. So, is this a victory for those who protested so hard? With us is Yuan Chan of the Parents Concerned Group on National Education. Well, let me ask you exactly that question. Is it a victory? I think that it's an achievement for sure and I think that we should acknowledge that it has been an achievement for civil society in Hong Kong and for all the people from all sectors of society who came together to voice their unanimous opposition to this policy which we believe was mistaken. But your coalition which I believe consists of over 20 groups mm. is going to continue in existence what actually are you going to do now? We do feel that because the subject hasn't been withdrawn completely, um, that some, a, mi a small minority of schools probably will continue to launch national education programs. And we at the Parents Concern Group are not at all opposed to schools teaching kids about China. In fact, we think they should teach more about China and Chinese affairs. Our concern is that those classes should be comprehensive and unbiased. Um, so what these concern groups are going to do is to, in the schools where it is going to be launched, monitor how that's happening. And we also um, urge schools in every um, aspect to fully inform and consult with parents, teachers and students if they're going to launch the subject. And, 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 and given that, mm. as you say, I mean, you're not, in, you're not against uh, greater awareness of China no. um, being taught in schools, mm. would you, as an organisation, be suggesting how that teaching could 
you know, could be done in, in some specific way? Well, I think our principle is that the teaching should be comprehensive and it shouldn't have a kind of coercive aspect to it. Um, much of our work going forward, I think, is going to be on monitoring the content of teaching materials and activities in schools that are not specifically, they may not be called moral national education, but in fact what we've already seen in worksheets and in textbooks is uh, creeping elements of what we would call brainwashing kind of national education in different subject areas. So in Chinese language textbooks and in general studies, general knowledge type classes. Um, in fact, we, we've seen a lot of people have already been sending us um, material that shows um, teaching guides to the textbooks for uh, primary school children about um, identity that say, you know, it has a little boy saying, um, my name is, I don't remember, like Xiaoming or whatever, and I was born in Beijing and I'm Chinese. And then there's another Hong Kong boy says, my name is whatever, I was born in Hong Kong, I am a and blank. Okay. Is the Hong Kong boy smaller? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's on the, he's below, but mm. I don't want to read too much into that. But the teaching, the, the teacher's notes actually state um, a lot of children in Hong Kong see them, will describe themselves as Hong Kong people. And this is incorrect. The correct answer should be um, Siu Ming, or whatever his name is, um, is a um, resident of Hong Kong. Um, who is Chinese, right? So things like that, I mean, that's just one example, but we have all these things creeping into textbooks. We have multiple choice um, Chinese, I think it's Chinese uh, language textbooks, which say things like, when I see the national flag being raised, I feel, and it's A, um, proud and moved, B, um, bored and sad and C, indifferent you know I mean why do there have to be those set multiple yeah. choice questions and you know it's kind of loaded so I think there are a lot of things for us to remain vigilant about and already we have seen a lot of people submitting those materials people are obviously very concerned so I think that there is still a reason for people and for groups to be concerned to be cautious to be vigilant and from what I can see people do remain vigilant well, you and Chan, thank you very much indeed. And don't go away, we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This week, Hong Kong's fifth Legislative Council since the handover came into being. Three of the top positions in the Council were taken by pro-establishment lawmakers, which suggests that pro-Democrats may find it harder to be effective in the coming session. On Wednesday, 70 legislators took an oath to mark the beginning of the new Legislative Council, or rather, 69 did. Under the Oaths and Declarations Ordinance, the oath should be taken in a definite form and manner. Lawmaker Raymond Wong Yokman will take it again. <laughs> Lafat 
咁至於佢話啊，你冇讀完誒唔成誒呢個法律上啲宣誓無效喎，咁咪再宣誓咯，係咪？係嘛？喂，我嘅權力來源係來自人民，係人民投票俾我，係咪？宣誓即係嗰個係形式嚟嘅啫。Before the swearing-in earlier in the week on Monday, LegCo members questioned the two candidates for the presidency of the council, the civic parties, Alan Leung, and the DAB's Zhang Yuk-Singh. 我哋係唔唔唔接受你個所謂啊兩寬嘅問題。當時批准嗰幾千個誒修訂案嘅咧，係貴黨嘅創黨主席。今日我嘅對手曾玉成議員唔係本人嚇。我不要共產黨主持立法會會議。你答，你係咪共產黨黨員？黃耀文議員，你正話講嘅嘢咧，已經係否定咗你嗰個問題嘅意義。The voting for the president took place on Wednesday. Zhang Yuxing received 43 votes, while Alan Leung received 27, which exactly represented the division of pro-establishment and pro-democratic groups within the chamber. We did not run to win. We ran because we want to have a opportunity to challenge Jasper Zhang on his ruling when he exercised the purported power under Rule 92 of the Rules of Procedures of this council back in May this year in so-called cutting the cloth. Now, we certainly do not like that decision. The new House Committee of the Legislative Council, which makes preparations for its meetings, had its first meeting on Wednesday. Andrew Leung and Ronnie Tong were returned uncontested as its chair and deputy chairman, respectively. Emily Lau and Tommy Jung competed for the chair of the Finance Committee, a position that opposition lawmakers have held for seven years. I remember Liu Weiqing member. I have asked him at the Gold Tree time, he asked him at least one or two times. He said he has been repeated and repeated, but he still asked him. At least one or two times, I heard him ask him many times. But he did not answer. With the support of the pro-establishment camp, Tommy Jung won by 40 votes to 24. There were three blank votes. People Power's Albert Chan said he would support neither Emily Lau nor pro-establishment lawmakers. To me, and I guess to some members of the public, the message that the pro-Beijing camp is sending out to the community is that they are going to exercise their muscle to try to exert very tight control in the affairs of the Legislative Council. On January 16, 2009, Israeli shells hit the Gaza home of Dr. Izaldin Abalesh, instantly killing three of his daughters and a niece. 
For many people, this would have led to a sense of abiding hatred. But for Dr. Abelesh, who has worked in Israeli hospitals, caring for patients and delivering babies of both Palestinians and Israelis, the opposite was the case. He set up the Daughters for Life Foundation, wrote the book, I Shall Not Hate, and in 2010 was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Last week, he was in Hong Kong and came to the Pulse studio. Your, your, your basic point of view, as I understand it, is, you know, hating is not, going to, is not going to advance any kind of reconciliation or indeed uh, achieve a peaceful settlement. No, I wrote the book, I Shall Not Hate, after the tragedy and what did I face in my life, where my life was a war. As a Palestinian refugee who was born, raised in the refugee camps, from where did I come and what did I achieve in life? But everything has its time, and the time to write this book came after the awful, terrible tragedy, the day when I saw my beloved daughters killed in front of my eyes. Bisan, who was 20, Mayar, who was 15, Aya, who was 14, and my niece Noor, who was 17, for nothing they did. But I was determined from the first moment that this tragedy is for good and will be invested for good. And I am determined to bring them the justice that they paid and sacrificed. But to bring this justice not with hate. Hate is the fire, is the war which eats the one who carries it. If you want to challenge the one you plan to hate, is to carry the pain, the wound, to move forward and to succeed. This is, of course, the question, isn't it? Because at a political level, hate seems to work so much more effectively than, than, than reconciliation. Yeah, of course, with hate, the one becomes blind, sealed, a shield in front of the eyes. You can't think wisely. If we want to think wisely, we need to reject this hate and to immunize ourselves. We need to feel angry, outraged, because anger in a positive way that energizes us to take responsibility. What can we do to challenge and to do something in the right direction? But with hate, we are destroying ourselves and we are not doing anything for anyone else. We are destroying the environment in which we live. That's what is needed. Of course, the political will is there. Is it? The, I, I, there, the political will is there and it's responsible, the responsibility of the leaders. But we as people, we don't want to waste our time in blaming those leaders. Those leaders, who brought them? But we brought them. We voted for them. It's time for us to vote and to select the right leaders, the human ones who, whose eyes are focused on the unemployed, on the sick, on the poor, on the children, on the mothers on the injustices in this world, not those leaders, just their eyes focused to be re-elected and to be in power. And then we as people to blame them. But, but the, 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 the leadership of, of where you come from in Gaza, Hamas, doesn't seem to be focused on these particular issues at all. Uh, you know, we are not talking about Hamas. Gaza is part of the Palestinian nation of the future Palestinian state. If we want to go, when I have a patient and he has pain in his hand, the failure doctor is the one who focuses 
on the hand. This hand is part of the whole body. It's a Palestinian nation. It's a future Palestinian state. It's a Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And we want to focus on it within the whole context, not in a fragmented way. In that way, we are not going to move ahead. We have a Palestinian leadership under the president Abbas, who was elected by the Palestinian people, and he is recognized by the international community. And at the same time, there is the Israeli leadership. Netanyahu, whether we like or not, but he is elected. We don't want to go to other parts or small parts. We need to deal as a whole. A, a Palestinian nation to an Israeli nation, a Palestinian interest to an Israeli interest, and there is a leadership from both sides we need to focus and to deal with. Well, Dr. Arzlesh, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of The Pulse. We'll see you at the same time next week. Goodbye.